Right. Hey boomers, welcome once again to Sonic the Comic, the podcast. Your look back at the Sega-sational world of the 1990s and the United Kingdom's official Sega comic. We are your humes who think we're in charge. As always, I am Chris McFeely and with me is... As usual, Dave Bulmer. And this episode we are looking at issue number 10. Featuring now, ooh, look at this, the cover to STC number 10. It says along the top, it's creepy, it's spooky, mysterious and ooky. Trying for the Adams Family theme there, but getting the words wrong. And we have Decap Attack. He's heading your way. This is a predominantly purple cover with a big lightning flash on it. This is drawn by Nigel Kitching. And it's, well, well uh, uh, let, let me read this to you as though you've never seen it before, because many of you probably haven't. We have a, a bandaged homunculus of some sort with a face peeping out of his own chest. No head, and he's throwing a skull towards the camera, uh, if camera it be. And the skull's not looking too happy about it. No, the skull's screaming, and he's got big, I mean, extremely round eyes. Yeah, so it's the mega new series, Decap Attack, based on a a game that nobody's heard of other than uh, because they've heard of this comic. Sorry, by the way, if you you can tell that my voice is all over the place today, it's because I didn't sleep enough last night. I'm going to be a shambles today. I apologise for that. Me neither, and for exactly the same reason. Yeah, shall we? Shall we? It's because shall we, we whip the curtain back. We launched last night. Yes, um, yes. This is episode ten. We're recording episode ten, but we only released number one last night. Yeah. So that gives you an idea of how far ahead we're going, how far it'll be before we can start responding to your letters. We would have probably got sleep um, if we hadn't launched it at like midnight, but unfortunately, I was out seeing Detective Pikachu. Yes. So, although it was ready several hours in advance, Dave could not get a hold of me. I was convinced you'd simply fallen asleep. <laughs> um, on the back cover, jumping joysticks, Chris. Something wacky this way comes. It's terrific. It's terrifying. It's terribly good value. It's Terry Pratchett's new children's book, Only You Can Save Mankind. Oh, I read that. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant book. I reread it, well, I think recently, it was probably more than 10 years ago, mm-hmm. but in my adult life, I reread it. Absolutely great. Completely holds up, even despite the fact it's very much rooted in sort of Spectrum era yes. computer gaming. I, I don't remember a lot about it. I just remember it. I read it and I just remember it was about yeah video games from an era before I was playing video games. Well, see if this jogs your memory. It says, join Johnny Maxwell in the Ultimate Games Challenge to save mankind from those evil alien hordes, or should that be the other way around? Face the fearsome Screewee. Oh gosh, was that a joke on the Zeely? Uh, I don't know what either of those things are. The Zeely was Stephen Baxter's aliens he was writing about, because they worked together later on The Long Earth. Oh, anyway, yeah. and tremble at the sight of Johnny's mates, Wobbler, Yolus, and Big Mac. Good value too, parents will like this bit. 174 pages of Cosmic Chaos for a threadbare three ninety nine. It's the Nicker Wettingly funny new <laughs> paperback from the funniest living author bar nobody, said the good book guide, and they should know. It's Terry Pratchett out now in Corgi paperback. We betcha didn't know books could be such fun. And win a mega Sega Mega Drive. Entry forms from all good bookshops. And there's the reason it's on the back of the comic. So, actually relevant. Great book. Go and read that as well as reading STC, listeners. Control Zone. 
actually quite a slim control zone this month as Megadroid simply uh, celebrates the fact that they're up to 10 issues and tells us that Decapitac is joining the comic this issue. He makes the same comment I did last time, which was that uh, we're into double digits. Yeah. And I wonder if that's simply a cliche everybody says, yeah. or if I learned it from this and it went in my brain specifically there. No, that's that's something people say, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yeah. But do I know that? That's the question that faces us. <laughs> and of course he mentions the fact that by way of a small celebration, we are unleashing our weirdest new series yet on you. Believe me, you ain't seen nothing like Decap Attack, a great platform game on the Mega Drive. Asterisk. My, my asterisk, not his. It is now destined to become the strangest addition to STC's lineup yet. Boomers of a nervous disposition, and those with any good taste, are advised to close their eyes while reading the last mega story in this issue. It'd be great how this would only continue and, and build up as the series would go on. First, it's just weird. And then the fiction is that the comic becomes embarrassed to even allow something so stupid, <laughs> something so ridiculous in its pages. And it's absolutely tremendous, and we'll get to it at the end oh of the episode. Oh god, I can't wait. Uh, gear! Fab! Groovy chaps! Yeah, this is another one of those segments where they show us photographs of celebrities confusedly staring at Sega consoles. Yeah, at a Game Gear. In this case, yes. And, uh, and, and there's very little uh, here is being done to convince us that these people have ever seen a Game Gear before or own these Game Gears. In fact, we can see the same stickers on the back <laughs> yeah. in each photograph. <laughs> I didn't actually. I didn't notice that. <laughs> <laughs> Neither did I till just this minute. Someone from STC has accosted Prop Harry Enfield, here. Bruce Dickinson, soon to be ex-Iron Maiden, and Joe Strummer and Paul Simeon of The Clash. Uh, and they've, they've thrust a Game Gear into their hands and said, pretend to play this while we take a photo of you. And they all have. They've Well, Enfield and the... And and the Clash guys have made a game effort of it, and the Clash guys yes. are, look like they're having a larf, like at least. Um, Whereas Dickinson <laughs> doesn't seem to know what he's doing. I mean, he just doesn't seem impressed at all. He's looking, he's looking into directly the into the camera, <laughs> threateningly, as if to say, "What are we doing? Get away from me!" Was he actually leaving Iron Maiden at the time? Or oh, I wouldn't know. Haven't a clue. No, it's just you know, soon to be ex Iron Maiden gets ready for his new career. Game Gear. Anybody want to buy a Game Gear? Ten out of you, love. Oh, I see it. Yes, even the part about him leaving Iron Maiden could be a joke. Don't know. Could be to feed in with that. We don't know. Write in, Iron Maiden fans. Uh, stctpodcast at gmail dot com. <laughs> Mega Talks, written by Nigel Kitching, art by Richard Elson, letters by Tom Frame. Disguising himself as a civilian named Bob Beaky, Sonic infiltrates the chemical plant zone to free the workers enslaved there. While leading them out through the plant's tunnels, however, they are attacked by Mega Talks, a creature made of living Megamac, a poison designed specifically to kill Sonic. Megatox's liquid form initially seems invincible, but a whirlpool generated by Sonic's super speed soon flushes the viscous villain down the drain. I had fun writing that. I was going to say, yeah. viscous villain, very nice. <laughs> I know, right? You should send a portfolio into Sonic the Comic. I love a bit of alliteration. <laughs> Whenever I can get away with it. So yeah, this one follows on um, basically, again, directly from uh, the previous issue when we had our incredible upset of the comic status quo for the first caption, Planet Mobius, RR, asterisk, ruled by Robotnik. I remember it being RBR. Perhaps that they changed it later. later yeah. yeah, yeah, and we heard about the chemical plant work detail in the previous issue, so this is Sonic <gasps> just going to, uh, yes. going to deal with that right away. 
going to go and free the enslaved workers. And straight away, Nigel's in with the real sort of fascist regime imagery and phrases. This character shows up, Bob Beaky. A penguin in an overcoat and a big scarf. Yes, and not just a not a penguin in the sense that imagine a penguin wearing a coat. No, this is all clothes. The yeah, only you, reason you can only tell it's a penguin is because there's a beak poking out. There's a beak poking out. Like that's the only. You know what? I've just we've both just universally agreed that he's a penguin. Yep. yep. Is he? I. I th- you know I that's think... funny, isn't it? Right, because all you can see is a beak. But I think we're making a kind of cold weather association because he's in such. Such heavy, oh, heavy clothing, so we see No, that- I, do you know, I've got this vague sense that in some future issue it does say, like, his penguin guys or something like that, but I could don't well know. Be, we'll could to, well be, could well be. have to wait and see. I feel like I immediately knew I was looking at a penguin one way or the other. Yeah, even though it is just a beak poking out of a, a scarf, some sunglasses, one of those big hats for cold weather, you know, the ones with the ear flaps down the sides. He's got big um, fingerless mittens and everything as well. Big duffel coat. There's not an inch of, of Sonic shown underneath this. And, Spoilers! And you've already said it! It's in the... It's in the... <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, oh well, I've already said it because I wrote it. I mean, no, I read it! Oh god, let's sleep properly next time, shall we? Should we have a nice night of sleep next time we do one of these? So, Bo- quote-unquote, Bob Beaky approaches these two soldier badniks now, we saw them in the last issue, but I feel like this is the first time we're really, really, really looking at these guys. So I kind of want to describe them a bit. They're, they're sort of... They are robot men with giant, like, tusk fangs sticking up in front of their faces and big helmets and they're covered in, you know, vadery buttons on the front of them and, and they're red and they're silver and they've got pipes coming out of them and they're, they're really nasty-looking robots. I wonder if there's a robot that these are kind of modeled after well you talk about how it's you know fascist iconography i mean they're 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 very much wearing stahlhelm you know german war helmets there's there mm. there there's very real you know fascist iconography with their big armored shoulder plates and everything yeah and then not least um sonic as bob beaky is is trying to talk his way past them bob beaky that's me all right and uh, and one of them says why so cheerful beaky the work details are most severe and he says oh i suppose i just delight in serving our glorious ruler dr robotnik all hail robotnik may his reign be everlasting and they both snap into and those are hiles. Those are yeah, he, those they, are straight arm, straight fingered yep. salutes. Yep. And you could say that you know because of the angle that the, the arms can be going directly up into the sky rather than out in front of them. But the the imagery there is oh, it's unarguable. In there, he he sneaks his way into you know a door that says level one, and we see this incredible wide shot where the camera is down on the ground with the lowly citizens and we can see up above us all the the, the the pipes and the towering machinery and bob beaky on his little balcony up there going flipping heck and a number of these giant armored soldiers whipping civilians with these kind of electric lightning whips and going get up worker your shift is not over yet and the little squirrel things going i can't do any more you notice as well that the um, military badniks the troopers are actually different designs on this page too no, I hadn't. Hang on. Where am I looking? Oh, yes, they've got the square teeth. They have the, else? I mean, they would become much better known as having the squared-off teeth. The, ver- yeah. the versions on the first page are much more extreme, uh, monstrous-looking with big saber tusks. Yes. And uh, these ones don't have those Vader chest panels of lights and buttons. No, instead they have a, a stamp of a Dr. Robotnik face. Well, no, no, just this one guy. Oh, yes, that's just right, just one. Guy one. I feel like that means this guy is like the foreman yeah. of the of the plant. Yeah, and he's he's got one on his helmet as well. Yeah. And then the rest are 
are what I would recognize as being the sort of the, the baseline generic trooper badnik design. Look at those little pouches around know, the waist yes. of the uh, the foreman, like a soldier's uniform. And then, and this isn't uh, part of the the imagery there, but look at his legs. And looking at his legs, look how good Richard Elson would be at drawing Transformers. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't know what it is about the legs, particularly, that makes me think that. Yeah, it's, they're just nice, sharp, angular. Mm. Last issue, the troopers, they looked quite squat. Um, I think we pointed That's it out. That's right. But this t- it's basically by, by this issue that they've sort of already morphed into their sort of finalised proportions. They have human proportions versus the cartoonish proportions that Sonic would have. Yes, and now he, he there's something at the end of of this sequence as he finishes off all the different robots. The foreman is the only one left, you know, hits him with the thing, and then he charges at him, and it looks like he's missed. They do the old um, samurai movie trope <laughs> where it seems like Sonic has rushed past him without hurting him at all, and he goes, "So much for that, big mouth, you missed me." And Sonic's like, "You want to bet?" And we cut back, and we see that Sonic has in fact blasted straight through the robot and left a hole. But it's what the robot says that, yes. you know, to this 11-year-old always jumped out. It goes, oh. Yeah. And it's like, it almost said a swear, Dave. It did. There, there, there is an S there. It's yeah. O-S dot 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 and then sound effects. Yeah. And um, I'm pretty sure that the Sonic strip would never, ever do that again. And honestly, no, I don't think I, so. I don't like it. Um, I can't decide, because... So, the thing is that, at this point, I think this comic has decided, and this doesn't last forever, but I think the... I almost want to say magazine has decided that it's aiming to be a magazine. Streets of Rage is the most extreme it's ever been in this issue. Yeah, I don't mind it in Streets of Rage, not that it's happened yet, but it will happen. No. I, I swear to God, it happens. I, I'm going to be really disappointed if it doesn't happen, because <laughs> I, I've convinced myself it happened. You weren't thinking of this. <laughs> I hope not, because I remembered this independently. But this this issue, generally speaking, all the way through, feels like it's for an older reader than you would expect. Or at the very least, it's taking its audience Than you would more. expect these days, anyway. Well, I mean... Th- these days well yeah but Jesus, that's exactly like, it you know there's absolutely nothing produced for the uk comic market that even gets close to approximating the sort of stuff we used to get from the 80s and 90s where they were produced for a tween age audience we'll say yeah you know. and this is why sonic the comic worked so well and became what it was because we were used to producing comics for that age group and yeah. you know with war stories and things like that and some of them quite serious and sega were aiming not Sonic, but like the Mega Drive, their whole general thing, at an older kid audience. Yeah. And so it made sense that this comic would be... Now, Sonic has got... I think they've pitched it younger and younger and younger as time has gone on. And Mm -hmm. they've done it in a way that I've had a lot of problems with, because sometimes, by younger, they mean less discerning. (laughs) I'm not talking about the comics. The, the, The comics, you know, for a while have been good. Uh, over in America, but generally the the tone of the games and so on has been, I, don't, I think, pitched younger and younger. And this sort of content, it, the rest of the comic, I don't think Sega would ever allow it today, and that's a real shame because they were very successful then, and then not so successful now. <laughs> right, so where were we? This. All right, um... <laughs> I'll tell you what I will say. In attacking this robot, Sonic's costume has all fallen off, so we're back to oh, Sonic yes. now. Yes, we didn't mention. Yes, he sheds the disguise. What do we think about the spikes here? He's it, it is the single mohawk briefly, but then briefly, but then snaps back. Yeah, yeah, it does, doesn't it? So ah, oh, whatever. I'll give it. This is this is the point at which they're still trying to work out still exactly what they're supposed to be drawing. Out, yeah. And then we head down into this uh, tunnel, and of course the animals are all going, "Oh, don't go down there! It's it's haunted! It's, haunted. it's horrible!" 
me a favour, will you? Yes! And the, it, one of those moments that it must have been very difficult to uh, read this to your brother in an American accent. Do us a favour. I just did it right there. It's all good. <laughs> Not a chance, bozo. I suppose that, yeah, that's that sounds American. Nobody says bozo in the UK. Bozo. But then blast. Blast! That's not very American. It's a- Nobody says blast, to be fair. That's the, the only people who say blast are like corporate tycoons whose plan to bulldoze the Civic Center have been caught <laughs> out, you know? Yeah. And then we're wading through the, the Mega Mac. Now, it's not named just yet, but I, I went and I specifically checked this. Now, the Mega Mac, as many of you may know, or may not know, because they don't always say it these days, is the no. pink water from the chemical zone. Yeah. Double-double check this. This was in the instruction yes. manual in both the US and in Europe. So It was. It uh, wasn't a Stay Sonic thing that I was no, no, remembering no. it from, but they do name it in Stay Sonic. Oh, do they? But I didn't read the, uh, the manual, and so I... Why? I, it's right there because i didn't have a mega drive until 1995 valid point you made it sound like you had the game but didn't bother okay no never mind objection retracted <laughs> so i didn't realize even at, you know years after having read this knowing exactly what mega mac is i didn't realize the pink water in the chemical plant zone was it because i kind of rejected that because it was too watery too runny <laughs> yeah it, was just they, water. It, it is very slimy in in this uh, as presented here yeah it looks so thick thick and it does appear once in i think the sat am cartoon or well or uh, well an analog of it there's a bit where sonic gets a pink liquid i don't even know if it's pink but he gets stuck in something and he goes oh mega muck oh that might not be anything at all could be a total coincidence that's just how sat am sonic talked isn't it (laughs) yep so this guy leaps up this huge it's like a skull with its eyeballs hanging out and a bit of its brain visible and instead of teeth it's just got splash and and it's zooming about in the sky and it introduces itself as well he says i was once a scientist doesn't say who he was no 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 please yeah allow me go (coughs) give me a second Once I was a scientist working with Dr. Robotnik on a chemical called Megamac, a chemical specifically designed to destroy you. But that was before the accidents. A compartment in which I was working was accidentally flooded with the Megamac. But instead of being killed, I somehow became part of the chemical. I was reborn in this new and deadly form. I became the malignant <laughs> Megatox. Yeah. I mean, it's nice that you can do the uh, voice filter that they used for various Transformers characters just with your own mouth. No one asked him to do this in real life. His face is covered in drool. No, it's messy. <laughs> but it works in an audio format. Thanks for pulling the curtain back, Dorothy. <laughs> I'm not touching it. But, uh, yeah. The malignant Megatox, which yes. kind of makes it sound cancerous, doesn't it? So this guy's just made out of Megamac. He's just yeah. a, uh, he's just a, a face at the end of a streamer of liquid. So I was immediately endeared to him because I yeah. always had a thing for villains who could do stuff like that. Like, uh, do you remember the Liquidator from Darkwing Duck or Hydro Man from Spider-Man? Guys like I'm pretty that. sure guys there was had... one like this in Mighty Max that I was fond of that did a similar thing. Guys who had powers over liquid and could turn into liquid. I was always mm. very curious about the fact that he was a scientist. Mm. It makes me wonder what he was. Because, you know, it's Mobius. And, uh-huh. um, oh, I see what you mean, yeah. Yeah. What was he? You know, was he, was he an animal? it looks like or... a human skull, doesn't it? Yeah. You and I, and Sonic the Comic in general, would depict Mobius as a planet of only animal people. 
Mm-hmm. And Robotnik was the one human. Now, I was looking back over this, and Stay Sonic actually didn't subscribe to that. I would have sworn yeah. blind that it did, but no. But Stay Sonic talks about Robotnik as if he is a native, and it, it never says mm. that the planet is only animal people. But Sonic the Hedgehog in the fourth dimension does. Right. It says it's a planet of anthropomorphs. <laughs> um, and that's where I learned that word. Yeah. And they would offer explanation. You know, they said uh, Dr. Robotnik came in a, like a one-man science expedition or something. That's where that's where Kintobor came from in the fourth dimension. And I, I've always, it always did make me kind of wonder, what was Megatox before he became Megatox? <laughs> I don't know. This just looks like a human head to me. He might be a people. We can then pretty much skip over to the end because this is, this is a great example of what you said in an early issue where yeah. the villain introduces himself really quite close to the end. It's exactly the same as the supersonic issue mm. um uh, for better or for worse you know I, I don't want to literally just say it's great because it's in a seven page story titled megatox mm. megatox appears on page five attacks sonic on page six and is then dispatched on page seven yeah because and again this is where we sing nigel's praises because mm. nigel approaches the story with solid pacing uh, to really set the scene and expand upon the world that he's introduced in the previous issue. And it all unfolds really well, and then it just means that we need to fly through the um, climactic moment that the story is actually named after. Now, I think this one pulls yeah. it off a little better than Supersonic, because we get a, a, a solid action beat and an all-is-lost moment. Yes. All in one page, when you know Megatox blasts Sonic um, with 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 himself i guess (laughs) with the mac and sonic starts choking on it uses his super speed to whirl around in the liquid pull himself free but it turns out megatox is all of the mega mac i am one with the mega mac and all the five different heads come up out of the liquid and and then to be fair again sonic is able to spend the whole page defeating him uh, right up until the penultimate panel versus supersonic where you know it was basically over at the start of the final page instead of the end yes we we're gifted essentially three pages two pages of fight and a, another page of sort of the intro to the fight and it yeah. doesn't feel rushed no not as much as something like supersonic did i mean again i can't separate the story from my memory of perhaps due to my interest in an attachment in with a villain with this power set mm-hmm. my simple desire to see more of him yeah and, and to spend more story time with him i feel as if we do do we see him again not for a very Mm. very long no, no, time no. but we do yes um but yeah I, I don't know there's because we're not yet at the point where we're having like true multi-part stories this mm. is really the best anyone can do and i think nigel's managed to, to and richard they're both responsible here for the pacing and it and they do a good job of it well it's it's with nigel's eye towards the bigger picture and the way he makes a point of setting up this mm-hmm. like like another writer who was just writing a seven page sonic strip that mightn't be too concerned yeah. about the bigger picture in the larger world probably wouldn't have any of the beaky stuff for the infiltration stuff yeah. you could junk the first two pages start the thing with sonic being simply just in the, in middle the of chemical freeing plant, the prisoners yeah. and then you get to megatox by page three yeah. you know and then it would just be a disposable seven page you know ebb and flow pro and con you know then it'd just be a disposable seven page story yep. and that would it and we'd maybe you know we'd have got to spend a bit more time with the villain but you know at what cost to the identity of the comic and the bigger ideas that are being slowly built up quite right and so what you have here is in these first few pages a sort of little mini adventure really a little three-page mini adventure which just makes you feel as if the world in this comic is really robust and really has its own shape and and it makes you want to come back to this place with or without a megatox in it 
And um, and oh, and it kind of technically has a megatox in it. I mean, all they do is spray him across a wide radius, and he's already really sort of established that that's not that big of a problem. Yeah, that's. I mean, just to, to specify for the listeners at home, that's what happens. Mm. Sonic burrows out of the chamber that they're in, and then runs around the uh, the hole that he's dug, and Megatox is sucked away down, and, um, as Sonic puts it, sprayed across the countryside, but he doesn't know if he can pull himself together, and he's not waiting around to find out. And then it says, next issue, Race, Race Against, against time. time! I love this closing line as well, pure SDC Sonic, when one of the little pig says, Sonic, you are totally amazing. Hey, you won't get any arguments from me, good buddy. Yeah! And there it is, there's Sonic! I and- wouldn't argue either sonic you're no, my hero. we love you sonic i'm 11 and you're grit <laughs> <laughs> you'll beat mario refuse review zone <laughs> i've been looking forward to this yeah a couple of big ones in this one we got uh, street fighter 2 on the mega drive aladdin yes. on the mega drive Whee! Landstalker on the mega drive in fact they're all on the mega drive and wimbledon on the mega drive boo yeah I know. boring uh, we can probably bypass that one street fighter 2 <laughs> misspelled with no space between the street and the fighter 60 pound for street fighter 2 foofly Foof, foofly boof now you did you notice how in this issue they don't individually credit the reviewers? I did! It still says up in the corner, Tony Takushi and Dave Gibbons do them, but um, they don't individually credit them. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, is that Street Fighter 2 review a Tony Takushi review. <laughs> Look, one day we're going to meet Tony Takushi, and he's going to be lovely, and we're going to want to be friends with him, and he'll be like, we're not going to be friends, because you were rude on a podcast. It's been extended with amazing options. The options available are... <laughs> Difficulty level, time limit, pad config, music test, and sound effects test. That's amazing. Is that really necessary, Tony? Was that the sort of thing that this copy was crying out to be padded with? (laughs) It's amazing. Um, The hyper mode really takes this game to another play level. It allows you to increase the speed of play from normal to To slow. slow. Whoa, hyper! (laughs) To an absolute blur, where if you blink, you can be taken out. It really is that fast. Did you play the Mega Drive version of Street Fighter 2? I'm sure I must have. I don't think I ever did. And I mean, it would have been round someone's house. It could have happened. I mean, I was always more of a Mortal Kombat guy anyway. Uh, back yeah, in yeah. the day. You need all that blood and gore. You need to be colouring in the blood in your comic like yeah, Abby. Yeah. Uh, th- these days, I'm definitely not so much. <laughs> but uh, back then, it was very much all about oh, ninjas and the punching and the blood and the spikes. Can rip a spine out. Yeah. And I, I quite like the, the closing line here. Um, overall, Street Fighter 2 has been a long time coming for the Mega Drive, but it has been for all the right reasons, with Capcom aiming to, and actually delivering, a version that is far, far superior to any other home console version. Now, of course, I mean, I don't know. Is this true? Is this pure ad copy? I genuinely, I don't know. That does feel a bit like... Um... Well, I reached out to Ben Padden from Port Center, who knows all about different ports, and he says... Uh, the music is worse. Oh, the right. graphics are almost on par with the SNES, yeah. but it's got the better controller. Uh, oh, well, the SNES is the better controller. Uh, I think that's what he means. Oh yeah, and well, I think of course, because the SNES because it had, had four button buttons rather than yeah. oh yeah six yeah, yeah rather than just buttons. three on the Mega Drive. Yeah. Um, but still not a completely decisive. It sounds as if perhaps there was, you know, they were both about as good as each other, but you probably wanted the SNES one for the controller. And then, 
Aladdin. Aladdin on the Mega Drive. And there's a there's just a part in this that I absolutely I, flipping love. If it's not the one I'm thinking <laughs> of, I'll mention that next. It probably is. Sega actually joined forces with Virgin and Walt Disney to create a new style of game, with the graphics actually being drawn by Disney animators. As you can see from the screenshots, Aladdin actually is Aladdin from the film. <laughs> L- listeners, the only screenshot on this review is the title screen. It's just the word Aladdin written on the screen. I love that so much. Somebody I, when was I sh- not paying attention with a copy. When I showed this to Abby <laughs> last night, I, had to, I, I, I was like, this wouldn't be as funny, right? If it was like just a screenshot that didn't have Aladdin in it, it or if there were no screenshots, that wouldn't be as funny. It's the fact that it says like, look, at, you can see from the screenshot that Aladdin really is Aladdin. It's just the word Aladdin. Really, Why really that's so is funny the to word me? Aladdin. I can see it. <laughs> it really if I can see it. And look, screenshot. I mean, to their credit, it, it's a beautiful reproduction of the logo of the film Aladdin. <laughs> Forty-five pound for this one. Yeah, I mean, pricey now. they're getting pricey. Yeah, I-, I want to say that one's worth it. Oh my gosh, Aladdin, fantastic platformer. Oh yeah, get it, play it. Absolutely, it was the next killer app after Sonic, basically. Definitely. But is any game worth it? Like forty-five quid? I wouldn't pay that for a game now. I wouldn't, and I don't. No, I'm same, same, same. And back then, even less. So frankly, and then, but then you know, we I, I've never heard of Landstalker before. Except obviously no. I must have read this review and forgot about it since. But £60 for it too? Oh my, yeah, that's a lot. But I mean, it does say here this was a very big game. You'd probably get more play out of it than Street Fighter. But I looked it up. It looks great. Yeah, it's, I, uh, t- took a look up too. Seems to have been a bit of a, a bit of a sleeper hit outside of Japan, yeah. but one that is very well remembered and finds its way onto best of the console list. Oh, does it? Oh, I'm glad because at least one or two. Just to look at, it looks really great. It, it is basically a sort of an isometric RPG. Zelda time. Yeah, I mean they're having a lot of trouble explaining what it is because you know we're not so used to things like JRPGs in those days. There is a weird over reliance. I think it's Takushi again on the word arcade. Arcade. Yeah. What does arcade? What does arcade mean? mean? I've never known what it meant. I, rem- I, I, I wondered this since the Spectrum, because in Spectrum magazines, they would describe games like Dizzy as arcade puzzlers and things like that. And you're like, yeah. well, what? Like, What does it mean? You can get anything in an arcade. Yeah, and you probably wouldn't get anything like this. The arcade is where you go. It's not a thing. <laughs> yeah, so, I, and I genuinely, if I've never at any point understood what and I think what it is is that basically every reviewer probably had a different meaning in their own head of arcade later on in this issue we hear it used for another game and I got the impression there and I can't remember what game it is now but oh I know Sonic Spinball they use the word arcade Mm. and that to me makes sense because a pinball arcade staple it's a single board type of game yes it's something where you can spend time doing the same thing over and over and get better at it which this isn't so that's not the same use don't know I mean that's definitely not what arcade game means but it makes sense to you and me and that it's a single yeah. level with def- the game grumps would say a board you know right. with defined confines you know like space invaders or pac-man or but is that just because you know when we were young that's what our kids were maybe we have our own little definition of exactly it. clearly anyway landstalker yeah. looks, good. looks good don't care about wimbledon absolutely and i certainly wouldn't pay 45 quid for tennis, for a tennis game for on the tennis Mega. Kid Chameleon. Kid Chameleon. Kid Chameleon. Kid Chameleon. 
Although, briefly stop off at... Oh, wait, just some adverts? Just an advert, one advert. Um, join forces with the caped crusader as he tries to outwit those deadly villains Mr. Freeze, Two-Face, the Mad Hatter, and the Penguin in... Batman the Animated Series? Batman the Animated Woo! Series. The Sticker Book. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's an advert oh, for a sticker the book. the secret to comedy is... Look out <laughs> for this great new action-packed sticker and album collection. Packet of six stickers, 20p. Album, God, 20p. 50p. Very good value. Stickers. You know, stickers are still fairly affordable. What do they charge for a pack of stickers these days? Do they still do them? I don't know. I suppose I football. I remember there was a bit of... Yeah, I think it's basically just football. But I remember there was a bit of a kerfuffle recently when the price of stickers no. went up. Everybody got Oh, bit, I bit, hope so. Well, that's lovely. And out of shape about it. But it was, it was like maybe they went up from 40p to 50p or something. Oh. And even 50p for a pack of stickers these days is like hey that's not so bad plus an amazing fold-out poster with 16 hologram stickers of your favorite characters oh shiny agent yeah oh yeah so uh, we're going to reach the point where sonic gets a sticker album and hey that's i guess that's when we'll go over more about sticker album culture but for now we'll say it's at your news agents now so off you go Kid Chameleon Part 4, usual creative team written by Michael Cook, art by Brian Williamson with colours by Steve White and letters by Ellie DeVille. Casey uses his Eyclops powers to track the invisible sewer man, then becomes the tiny insect man Micromax to infiltrate their lair and free the captive Susie. Unfortunately, his insect size doesn't stop the creatures from spotting him, so he changes once more into the powerhouse Berserker and simply smashes his way out. Together, Casey and Susie warp to the next level and yet more danger. I'm conflicted on this because on, uh, parts mm -hmm. of me think it's really cool and parts of me aren't very interested. And I, think I can see that, yeah. I, I, like, I don't feel like there's an awful lot to, to say uh, at this point. It's, well, that's it. It's wearing its heart on its sleeve at this point. We've had the setup for the superhero transforming yeah. powers. We, we're at part four now, and he's gone through only two identities. Then he rips... Now that he's into the habit of using them, he rips right through Micromax... Baxter Fly by any other name, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and the Berserker who is absolutely just he's a Hulk. just the Hulk, just a Hulk with a funny hat. He's a Hulk, yeah, um, with a rhino hat. Yeah, uh, I mean, and these seem to be like uh, again, as we were saying last issue, um, flourishes by the artist because uh, Berserker yeah. is not a big green man on the cover of the video game. No, and nor is he in the game itself. I did look that up, and his yes, his sprite is just a normal guy. In yep. grey, and he's got uh, the hat, and that's it. And he's uh, not the Incredible Hulk at all. But I do... So I... The, the super heroics of this are very much uh, out in the open here. They know yes. exactly what they're doing. It's kid with the ability to turn into superheroes. They're yeah. really leaning into it. They're having a lot of fun with it. I'm really digging it because superheroes. The, I, I, t I would certainly be responding to the fact that you've got two new characters in this one. That yeah. would have... That would have interested me, but I'm fairly sure by this point I'd stopped reading. Um, just because something to do with the and then that and then this and then that nature of the story here, you know? It, you know, that's absolutely fair. I was thinking the same thing. There's not a lot going on beneath the surface at this mm. point. Um, for something that, you know, actually layered on quite a few ideas in its mm. very earliest chapters, this one is, yeah, it's totally fair to say and then that and then that. 
But <laughs> on the on the other hand, there's a little guy who shrinks and flies, and I'm yes. all about that. I'm not so big into Berserker because it's just no. the Hulk, and I was never a huge Hulk fan. He's big and strong, mm. but the ability to shrink and fly and shoot stingers out of your antenna. Mm. I mean, I loved Baxter Stockman on the Turtles. Of course. So, I mean, obviously, I was immediately making associations with this as well. He's even got the same color palette as Baxter oh. Fly, for goodness sake. And it's, and it's very, very good drawing of him, by the way. Oh, yeah, lovely. When he first appears, it's fantastic. All the art in this is great. Um, yeah, there's a there's a certain amount of, if anything happens that's an obstacle, he just needs to either turn into someone, or if he can't deal with it, or, or we reach the end of the, the story of that obstacle, he'll just be warped off somewhere else. So well, it's, it's, it is the video game level structure, and it is playing into that. Yeah, this is absolute, this is video game the comic, and it, it really, like, this isn't a criticism, it, it really plays into that and really demonstrates that. It, it isn't really Kid Chameleon the game the comic, it's just like the concept of video games the comic. Yeah, that's it. It's not uh, It's not like the earlier Sonic strips that we've paid no. attention to before where they're running the features of the game. It's it's video game the comic. You know, even, you know, I compared it in the first chapter to the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, but, yes. but even more than, than that ever was. Oh, yeah. And I quite like that each um, character is the the writer just makes up what they could do it's not based on their abilities from the game it's just like well if you mm. had a fly it's based on what flows logically from the idea yeah of what the could character. you do if you were a fly the eyclops one is the best example because in the game all you can do is shine a torch on a wall to reveal hidden blocks whereas in this he's doing all sorts of things yes super sight that's yeah. right my sight intensifiers pick light traces through the cracks in the rock i can use my infravision to track heat energy in the sewer men's footprints all sorts of it's stuff so much better than the game <laughs> it's really cool i would like a longer version of this if this was turned yeah. into something where you had more time to explore each character i think it would be really really cool it is really cool i don't i'm not i feel like i'm whinging i'm not i like this but no. not really when i was a kid well you know now that you're a grown adult can i suggest mm. checking out dial h from yes DC, from from uh, the new 52 from a few years ago which is absolutely a vertigo style adult take on the on idea this? of changing identities yeah that really gets into the heads and the mental effects that adopting different identities have on people exactly and you can leave that in the show too <laughs> i will do no from everything i've heard about it that sounds Sounds like exactly what I'm looking for is a is a more considered and longer version of this concept. And yeah, I absolutely will go and have a look at that. You know, it's funny. I was ruminating on what we were talking about with Kid Chameleon last issue, uh -huh. where um, you were saying that I was genetically predisposed to enjoying <laughs> this because it's superheroes, even though I hadn't yet truly discovered yeah. superhero comics. And I was wondering, I mean, that's absolutely true, but I was wondering if that is why the Sonic, the comic world always resonated with me as much as it did. And the American Sonic origin story that it used because they get their power Sonic and Robotnik get their powers in lab accidents. It's yeah. really it's pure superhero fiction you know? Yeah. Now we'll yeah. have a there's a whole argument to be had between you and I about whether Sonic has quote unquote superpowers or not. Yeah we've That's... been we've been scuffling on Twitter about <laughs> yes. this I think that I think it's pure science he's just someone who it can run science, fast yes but it's but he has superpowers. Whereas you think of it as a little bit more this was based on the trailer wasn't it the fact yes. that he has lightning coming out of him in the Yes Dave, Dave takes issue with the crackling blue lightning quills in, in the live action Sonic trailer I do. And I'm like and I'm like 
Well, that's just his sonic speed energy. Because we've talked about this a little on the show before. Yeah. Like back in issue three, um, when we were talking about Tufty finding a pair of Sonic's old boots and Sonic uh-huh. talking about how they might have absorbed some of his speed energy. And I'm like, yeah. yes, this makes this tracks. Please continue. Yeah, and <laughs> absolutely. According to Mark Miller, he has what I would consider superpowers. Uh, yeah. I feel as if that was something that I just saw as a, an aberration in that one strip rather than a, a correct canon thing. I feel like it's fairly consistently the angle Sonic the comic takes with Sonic is the idea yeah. that his super speed abilities are superpowers that, that can be lost oh gosh well we'll we'll see because that comes up i will see in a future story sorry just before we go on there you didn't hear a biddly bang there did you (laughs) no i didn't hear a biddly bang not a lot in the news zone well not a lot on the first page of the news show just talking about some of the games that are coming out sonic cd sonic's pinball sonic chaos uh, mean bean machine yeah it's called treats galore and basically the point is some stuff's coming out out, and toe jam and earl 2 which they uh, are definitely ranking above the original yes uh, which does not seem to be the popular opinion these days in hindsight it doesn't seem to be the popular opinion but it's definitely just looking at the original toe jam and earl um and maybe it's because i played toe jam and earl 2 and loved it but certainly Toe Jam & Earl 2 is the type of game I would much rather play than what the first one was. Oh, absolutely. Toe Jam & Earl 2 has this look to it that's like, I've only ever seen in things like, well, Bubber & Sticks was one. That, that yeah. sort of super cartoony, bulgy, bobbly, mm. bouncy kind of cartoony look. Whereas Toe Jam & Earl 1, it seems ever so slow and yeah. thoughtful. And- the game was subtitled Panic on Funkatron. Because they mm. come from the planet Funkatron. And mm. when you say bubbly, bouncy, yeah, it's because um, their walk cycles are proper. Yeah. Keep on trucking, arms yeah. swinging. That's so familiar. So I must have played this at some point or seen it on... I didn't have it. Maybe I saw it on TV somewhere. Now, speaking of things that I never saw on TV... <laughs> yeah, same. The other page of the News Zone, I have heard of yes. Games World. It came. The end of the world as we know it. But one thing survived. They could not break its following. The game. Well, I've heard particularly of Big Boy Barry because he was on the Digitizer Because he was on the Digitizer show. Yes, that's how I was able to go, oh, that. But I did not have Sky Television, so I was never subjected to this. And thank Christ by the looks of it because (laughs) oofa doofa, this looks heinous. (laughs) I didn't even know anyone who had Sky TV at this point. Oh, Jesus. I didn't get Sky till 2001, 2002. And you one kid whose family, whose like grandparents had it, that's it. So yeah, this was one of those things that they thought was a good idea in the 90s, a, a, a video <laughs> game contest TV show. I still think they're a good idea now. I think I want them back. Well, maybe they could make a good one, but that's yet to be accomplished in 25 years. <laughs> so. The thing that took, caught me off guard about this is it keeps saying it airs daily from Monday to Friday. Yeah. And how they have them... Um, Basically, there's contests on Monday and a contest on Wednesday, and the winners of the two then compete against each other on Friday. But not even Wikipedia can tell me what happened on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Oh, gosh. (laughs) But, I mean, this article is mostly given over to describing the challengers that the the players... The characters they they were all fake characters, yes. Oh, God almighty, I don't know if I can read this out without cringing myself inside out. 
the games messiah, a one-time tramp who was given a golden arcade token from the heavens and has since beaten everyone in his path to earn his new title. Master Moriarty, a 12-year-old genius and public schoolboy, one of the best game players, and Big Boy Barry, who I felt like when I watched him on Digitizer the show, it was kind of all there on the screen, but then reading this is like, <laughs> once loathed at school by girls and equally unsought after by boys, he appeared to be only interested in triple-decker sandwiches until he munched his way through a computer chip by mistake. This resulted in him rising to become a popular media celebrity, earning vast amounts of money. Big Boy Barry lives in a luxurious joy pad equipped I like with, that. That's I like that. That's fine. play. Equipped <laughs> with the latest entertainment technology. He's the only person in the world with a video phone. Shame he can't use. So did so he had a microchip and was it is, yes, did he get smart and good at video games from eating the microchip? Or was it a Freddy Star at my hamster type thing? You know, local idiot eats microchip and that just made him a celebrity. <laughs> it doesn't say. Exactly. I, yeah, I was expecting him to get computer powers Freakazoid or something. And instead, it, it just becomes a celebrity. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the one thing that does catch my interest here is that uh, yes. the show's equivalent of the famous Games Master. There was another, for the American <laughs> listeners, there was a uh, another video game show, the one really well-remembered video game show games master where again kids competed in video games but they also the, the title character was played by famous astronomer sir patrick moore who would provide uh, answers cheats tips hints to um viewer questions and they've got their own equivalent in here the games mistress but it's, she was played by jet from the gladiators yes be still my 11 year old heart Oh. oh, I was not interested, I'm afraid, no. Hadn't tuned in yet, hadn't come online. Oh, no. You didn't watch Gladiators, clearly. Didn't, no. For the Americans in the audience again, you guys had American Gladiators. Yes. Gladiators was our version of that. And let me tell you, on the playground, <laughs> Jet was the one all the boys were talking about. <laughs> and uh, here we have the game's mistress, a character, being played by Jet from Gladiators, a character who is... Played by someone whose name I will never know. Her name you can tell is, me it now, I won't remember it. Her name is Diane Udale. And it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. A, I was Wikipediaing this show just to try and get some details about it. You know, and the whole, uh, yep. as you probably gather from the laddish tone of the thing, the whole she was her laying yes. up a chaise lounge in a leather mini dress oh, type God. thing. Yeah, I looked it up on YouTube purely for research. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good evening, sweethearts. If you've been wiggling away for hours till your hands are sore and you're still not getting anywhere, then give me a buzz. I'm here to help you out. Hiya, games mistress. It's not fair. Everyone always laughs at me, but your beauty always cheers me up. Can you help out on the Jungle Book on the Mega Drive? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. Here's a cheat for you. A level skip. You can't go wrong with a level skip, as my old gran used to say, before the neighbours filled up with broken bikes and there was no room left for the mattress. Has someone hit you on the head or something? Oh, don't be cheeky. Anyway, over in the short bursts, what do we got going on? Oh, yeah, this one's interesting because it's yeah. kind of strangely relevant to something else that's going on in the comic. They tell us about a new uh, mega CD game coming called Umemi Mansion, mm -hmm. which, and I looked this up now, um, it was actually eventually titled Mansion of the Hidden Souls in English. Oh, was it? Yes, it got retitled. Oh, I only found it as Umemi Mystery Mansion. That seems to have been the on-screen title in, oh. like, the Japanese version of it. Right, yeah. Um, but the actual English release of it was, was Mansion of Hidden Souls. And that was produced by a company named Vic Tokai, who were also the guys who made Decapitec. No way. Way! Did you look this one up on YouTube? I did not. 
Did you? I did. It's yes. It's. I did the quite... research. You did the video. I just <laughs> looked and sat back. Together we make a functional podcast. Host. Yay! Woo! I was quite impressed. It's um. I think it's uh. It's a sort of a mist type thing, except with uh, uh, extensive use of video, and it's pre-rendered. I think 3D. Mm. So you start off with this butterfly just in some grass, and a, a voiceover of a woman saying, "Like, oh look, a lovely butterfly. Let's follow it." And you follow it all the way to this mansion, and and it's all like all of the grass. It. If you look at it now, you'd be like, "Okay, this is the most basic 3D ever in the world." But at the time, having not even had the most basic 3D ever in the world, I think I would have been gobsmacked sure, by the quality yeah. of this. That was you, the you, sort of stuff the Mega CD could do. That you know, mm. it sounds like it sounds like this did it well too. It's been re-released a couple of times, from what I could gather. Oh really? And you get into this mansion, and and you then get to pick. You know, oh, I'll go left. I'll go right. I'll look at the fireplace. I'll look at the cupboard. And it's all you know, videos that have been pre-rendered. But I don't know. There's something about it. And then you just go around this place, looking at everything, and then it finishes about 40 minutes later. And that's that. That's it. I don't think there's a boss to fight. I don't know if there's puzzles to oh, do. Oh, okay, right. It's, well, we'll see if it hits the reviews only. There you go. Konami is developing an updated Castlevania, mm-hmm. and um, there was a new games machine sold by um, Pioneer in Japan mm. last month called the Laser Active, which I looked up and is a commercial failure. Ah. I mean, it sounds like one. It sounds like something along the lines of a 3DO. Or... Yeah, I I was reading it and I was like, I've never heard of this. Yeah. And there's probably a reason. It's clearly a, it's one of those combination sort of, you know, laser disc players and it says here video disc films and music laser discs. So not what's even a, video. Yeah, what's laser a disc? video disc film? Uh, I don't know. It's not DVD. This is too early for that. Exactly, right? Plus, you could then also get a special module that didn't even come with it <laughs> that, that you could play Mega Drive and Mega CD games. And altogether, that's 550 quid. And Oof! opposite, uh, on the yeah. under treats galore, we find that the Mega CD 2 and Mega Drive 2 together is 250 quid. That's perfectly that's reasonable. damned reasonable, I thought. Yeah. I was a little surprised to read that. And yeah. think, well, I, I mean, I wouldn't have had it back then, but I no. would have paid it if I did. I'm um, very happy to uh, announce that nothing can stop the Ramahammer, Chris. Well, I don't know if you want to be announcing that on the podcast, Dave. Like, you (laughs) might want to run for prime minister someday. (laughs) No, let me show you. Let me show you. I think you need to see this. There it is. Oh, dippity doodah. I remember that. Do you really? This yeah, I, remember, is a... I remember the ad, at least, now that I've seen it. This is a board game called Knockout. Yeah, um, yeah, the, yeah. the blurb here says, A little thing like a brick wall isn't going to get in the way of the rammer hammer. With just a few well-aimed blows, you have to knock bricks out and leave the wall still standing. Can you keep your nerve and stack more bricks onto the wall as it shakes and quakes beneath you? You'd better watch out. One bad move and it'll all come toppling down. Have you got what it takes? With the rammer hammer you have, it'll knock you out. And the, uh, the, yeah, the premise here is you've got some little plastic bricks, you build a wall with it, you put a kind of logo of the game on top, and if that logo falls, then you lose. And you've got a little plastic... It's Jenga with a little plastic yeah. jackhammer, basically. That's it, that's it. And you turn it on and it goes... Bah, 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 and you just try and push a block out and hope the whole thing... It's a fun game. Uh, we then have the reservation coupon for STC, which is pure space filler. There is no need for this at any newsagent. We're not be cutting that out. What's that above it? 1994 for free. You're going to get a thrill-packed 1994 poster calendar free with issue 38 of Judge Dread the Magazine. Features a moody, mean machine painting by Chris Halls and a Judge Dread pin-up on sale October the 2nd, only £1.35. Mean, moody, magnificent. 
Streets of Rage. Streets of Rage Part 4 Written by Mark Miller, art by Peter Richardson, letters by Tom Frame Unaware that ninja assassins have been sent to finish off the comatose Axel As you do Blaze tracks Max to the industrial plant where Hawk is holding him prisoner Caught snooping, Blaze is captured as well And Hawk tosses away the police tracer given to her by Murphy just before Hawk can put a bullet in Blaze's head though, the wall of the plant explodes as the still very much alive Axel arrives with all guns blazing. Chris, this strip has the strongest opening and closing lines of any STC strip I can think of so far I or know, ever going right? forward. The streets of the city are now littered with the corpses of the innocent. Two cops have quit a corrupt police force to take the law into their own hands. Dun dun! <laughs> and then, if we if we allow ourselves to simply skip to the end, just for the purposes of this, to the end. I alluded to this last week because I remembered the outcome of Ninja Assassins <laughs> being sent to kill Axel as he blasts his way through the wall of the plant with two of the biggest Rob Liefeldiest guns going. Ninjas are wimps, man. <laughs> This is just a fantastic comic. I, I have loved this issue of yeah, Streets of Rage. It knows exactly what it's doing. Yeah. It is an OTT, yeah. R-rated action movie yeah. from the 80s for kids. Yeah, it, it, and it absolutely goes like way beyond what you would expect. I, this is a sort of thing people say, and I think they throw this around too much, but this does things you wouldn't expect them to be allowed to do. Yeah. The, the very first thing you see after that establishing shot of the hospital is, like, a guy aiming a gun at someone's head, and he's, like, the ostensible good guy because he's guarding the comatose body of our hero, one of our heroes. And then the ninja just informs us the hawk requires the head. He said he would not pay unless we bring him the head and of the ninjas. injured policeman. Why ninjas? Doesn't matter. It was the yeah. 80s. Ninja yeah. mania was running wild all over you. Uh, it started like in the <laughs> 70s with, you know, Kung Fu and David Carradine and all that. And then on into the 80s with ninja movies and samurai movies. And then the Turtles took it mainstream for kids and everything in yeah. the late 80s through into the early 90s. I feel like we're on the ninja downswing these days. Oh, yeah. In popular culture. But back then, ninjas were just... Never presume a supervillain did not have ninjas at their disposal. <laughs> <laughs> Once we've established that it's going to be messy... We cut to another one of the heroes with two machine guns aimed straight at his head, saying, why don't you kill me and get on with it? Like, th this is really, like, grown-up stuff. Well, it's not. It's not grown-up no, stuff. No, no, that's the thing. It's pitched perfectly as the kind of thing that, like, an 11, 12, 13-year-old kid with delusions of maturity would have yes. perceived as being for adults. No surprise that master of exactly that, Mark Miller, is responsible for it. Mark Miller. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's like looking at a crystal ball, isn't it? You would only get <laughs> so, so much more indulgent in this capacity. Oh, God. If only the... Miller World Movieverse Rolling Boulder could include as far as Streets, Streets of Rage. Of rage. Oh, imagine. oh, oh, oh yes. my god! Could you imagine? <laughs> oh, what else is good in this issue? <laughs> Lots of really great melodramatic, wouldn't be out of place coming out of the mouth of Tim Curry dialogue from Hawk. <laughs> you know, you know. Why don't you kill me and get it over with? Come on, Max. You know me better than that. I owe you something for all those years we've apart. You know, this goon who recovers the tracer that Murphy gave Blaze last issue. Hey, she had this little thing strapped to a belt. Oh, some sort of bomb or something. It's a police tracer. Probably given to her by some friend in the department. 
All she has to do is press the button. Some crusading cops will come to the rescue. <laughs> Not so tonight, my dear. Yeah, just exactly. And having established this this little button thing in the previous issue, and that yeah. is going to unlock the strongest move in the game. Not now. He's thrown it into what isn't literally lava, but it might as well be lava. Uh, spoilers. He didn't. It's fine. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> he must have missed. I guess in the film it just plinks off the edge or something. Plinks up right, yeah, or just balances on the edge, and then they have to climb <laughs> up and get it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now, the forbidden layout does happen, and it does happen badly, though. I noticed oh. at the top of page four. You know, this is after uh, Hawk has tossed the tracer away, and Max is billing, You're a coward, Hawk! A stinking coward! And my eyes immediately went yeah. down to the panel below, but without arrows or any directions or even well-placed speech bubbles, I realized you're supposed to go top panel, tall panel on the right, and background to bottom left panel, and there's no indicator of that. Your eye is not guided by the art or the dialogue in that regard, so... I can call it the forbidden layout for a reason, you know? Getting kicked off the police force was the best career move I ever made. Hell, I practically run... Said hell, hell, bad word, said Oh, yeah, yeah. You're reading it with a slower drawl than I read it in my head, but I agree with you, because as I was reading this, I was going, I like this, and I'm glad it's like this, but also there's something a bit odd about the fact that this guy is just describing how he's about to shoot them for pages and pages and pages and pages. I know, right? Including the point where he actually puts the gun up against her head and goes, bang, 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 blaze, and then it's all but over. that's such an 80s movie. Exactly! You, you, can, you can imagine him tracing the gun up and down. Arnold Schwarzenegger's cheek and sliding <laughs> it under his chin as he goes, yeah. oh, just one little twitch of my finger, Duke, and then it'll all be over. Well, why don't you do it then, you coward? I don't want it to be over too soon. <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah. the, absolutely the playbook. I love this bit as well, like where he's got the gun up against Blaze and Max is like, kick me instead, you cheap punk. Max, who's tied to a chair, built like a brick house and it still takes two of hawk's guys to hold him down you know yeah <laughs> that's good and then axel makes his dramatic entrance ah it's so willfully indulgent it's so much fun yeah because the last page starts with an almost half page panel of just a big explosion going off all the goons falling into the machinery and and here's our man guns blazing this is it's just so cool and stupid, and it's great. Yeah, it's important to understand that it's cool because it's stupid. Yes, yes. <laughs> it works on those two levels, you know. Kids looking for something that they think is for adults will immediately get latched onto this because it's dark, and people say bad words sometimes, <laughs> and there are guns and shootings and ninjas. Um, and then we're like, oh my god, this is every wonderful, over-the-top 80s action movie cliche wonderfully dancing along the line between pastiche and genuine uh, homage and you I, I don't think you ever quite know or find out with mark miller which it is for the rest of his career <laughs> that, that's that's it yeah that's why i can't decide whether to call it pastiche because it's not yeah if it's an homage it's a very loving homage but it's the yeah. kind of loving homage that's done with an awareness of how dumb they were even at the time i've noticed that the the cheats I'm starting to think they actually are worth reading. Not out, not onto the podcast, but I like to glance over them. No, because sometimes a weird one slips in there, doesn't it? Well, like... just for the ways the writers had to try and introduce cheats with a bit of copy. Yeah. You know, like, look at the Tasmania one. Well, the Tasmania one was the one I zoomed in on. Yes! Yeah. He says, everyone who owns this, smile immediately. Because <laughs> <laughs> guess what? I have a simple but great cheat that gives you infinite lives. Fatal Fury, the, the cheat here, just opens with a bit of text that just rips on people who bought Fatal Fury. Yeah, I know, right? It says, 
another clone of the game that just about everyone who has a Mega Drive is dying to get hold of. However, for those who couldn't wait for Street Fighter 2 and bought this, here's a cheat to give you infinite continues. What about this one for Black Hole Assault on the yeah, Mega yeah. CD? Beat-em-up games have proved very popular over the years, and this one has excellent graphics and music, but it falls down badly through poor gameplay. I've got some great help for owners, plus details of how to access a hidden... And the great help is a cheat that'll make you invincible. Yeah. yeah. So it just throws that game out of the window. Yeah, right? that it's just is like, under the boss. Here's a cheat that makes this game playable at all. By the way, you'll be invincible, so there's no point playing it. They said it could never be done, but I, Frankenstein, have created life! Alright, alright, so you created life. Well, now can we have our tea? Decap Attack, starring Chuck D. Head, part Yay! one. Written and drawn by Nigel Kitching, with letters by Steve Potter. Professor Frank N. Stein has created... LIFE! But Chuck, the guy he's reanimated, has forgotten who he was when he was alive, and Stein can't remember either. Plus, he used the leftover bits of Chuck's brain to bring to life a disembodied skull named Head. And that's our starting place, but when the prof's assistant Igor gets into a fight with some of the castle's bats, a scaffold inadvertently falls on Chuck and smooshes his noggin down into his torso, so Igor proposes that they just balance head between Chuck's shoulders and call it a day. Thus is born Chuck D. Head. This is... There's no way to, to summarise Decap Attack straight. Well, that's the thing. I had to lean into it. So that is the story of what happens, but the story of what happens doesn't matter in Decap Attack. Not that's, in that's the slightest. That's not the point. Having burst out of the gate with the best Sonic scripts a few issues ago, Nigel Kitching now sneaks round the side of the house and bursts through a completely different gate. The comedy door. As a flipping brilliant cartoonist as well. Oh, yeah. This would have been a standout strip in any of the humour comics running at the time. Yeah. It would be it would stand out now in something like The Phoenix. It's brilliant. It's it really has... funny. It's so funnily drawn and funnily written. Now, the visual style of it would evolve a little as it went on. It would get uh, even more exaggerated. The takes would get wilder. The colours would become a bit more pastel-y. Uh, I like oh, the, right. the vibrancy of, of this first issue. I remember thinking as a kid, and I still think it now even as I look at it, that this is a reference that sadly will be lost on our American listeners, but it has a lot of um, James Patterson Calamity yeah. James energy. Exactly. Uh, Calamity James is a strip in the Beano. The best strip in the Beano. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Characters that look like they're made out of like lumpy jelly yeah. and uh, and with little jokes and labels and things in the background. Yeah. Like this fantastic five panel <laughs> opening sequence it's where amazing the, the story is introduced by a bat and it's like hey you nearly didn't make it the doc's about to start and it's a bat and it's a it's a close-up shot of a bat and it's wearing a badge that says <laughs> hi i'm kevin and the second panel pulls out the third panel pushes back in and the the message on the badge has changed to read kevin the bat that is <laughs> Then the fourth panel it pulls out again, the fifth panel it pushes in, and now the badge reads, Kevin is not a stupid name for a bat. Yes! 
Those five pages are everything that I believe in in British comics. It's just displayed on the page there. It is wonderful. Oh, it's so good. Now, now Decap Attack is based on a video game of the same name, which nobody really remembers. And you know what I discovered about it? What? Is that I don't think anybody remembers it because it's a complete... It's a a Doki Doki Panic. Oh, is it? It was originally in Japan known as Magical Hats Turbo Flight Adventure. Cool. Which was based on an anime. Oh. And it's been completely reversioned as as a horror game. Okay, cool. Yeah. And it is, isn't it? It's like a quintessential, like, cartoon Halloween game. Mm, yes. You're playing a sort of mummy character mm-hmm. with a skull for a head. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, no, this is the funny. Like, like we are introduced to the castle of Frank Einstein with a little asterisk footnote. <laughs> really, truly, I think, beginning STC's love affair yeah. with the asterisk footnote. And maybe mine, too. <laughs> uh, where Megadroid tells us that the person who thought of this gag has been disposed of. Which is well on its way to setting the tone of the humor of the thing, but uh, of course Frankenstein was in the video game, so <laughs> it wasn't part of the comic staff. No. Yes, Frankenstein and Igor are. Um, this very much seemed to be a case of looking at the sprites in the game and then Kitching sort of going, "Oh, I I, I draw like that." Yeah, yeah. Because they're quite close. Yeah. When I, when I looked it up, because I never played this, but yeah. when I looked it up, I found out two things. A, yes, this is the perfect game to make a comic out of, and for Nigel Kitching to make a comic yeah. out of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 an incredibly perfect synthesis yeah it's just really really cartoony it's like a it's almost as if they're doing a joke version of castlevania or something Mm. because it's all the graveyard imagery and b i think i'd have really enjoyed this game if i had it at the time it has a sort of amiga energy to it it's the 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 premise in the game is that you're this little lumbering guy walking about and you you can shoot a face out of your chest to to like smash blocks with and sometimes if you pick up a skull you pop that on your shoulders and then you can throw it at people and it just lands and you have to go and pick it up again see that's the joke chuck de head chuck de head because he chuck de head yes now sadly kevin doesn't make it past the first five panels as uh, igor kills him with a mallet in a it- brutal display of gore and blood spraying everywhere in the perfect punchline for that setup yes. it's st- we think that we're gonna have kevin as this as ubiquitous narrator yeah. narrator all the way through and he's like well here welcome to the castle and the final stage is about to begin and then he just gets <laughs> smashed by a mallet and proper blood and guts goes over abby didn't have to edit this panel at all no that's that's a big red spray Igor, will you stop it mr bats and get down here and of course professor stein's dialogue is entirely written in <laughs> full mock german and now, raise the bench into the very heart of the thunderstorm! Prof, why do you talk like that? <laughs> Everyone knows you come from Cardiff. Shut up, Ed, or it's back to the dungeons, Mitchell. It's great, it's great, it's great. Listeners, f- track down this and look at it. It's so well drawn, it's so funny. Every panel, something f- that makes me laugh is going on. Oh, it's so good. Because Igor has killed Kevin, the other bats in the castle come down and attack Igor in the background while Frankenstein is walking the reanimated Chuck through the... I mean, that, that, that's... We should stipulate. That is the experiment that Kevin has set the scene for us. It's uh, yes. the, the Frankenstein story. Body well, that's raised the thing. up on a big scaffold into a lightning storm, struck by lightning, comes to life. Well, that's the thing. The game is kind of a play on Frankenstein, but this is a... 
straight up pastiche of Frankenstein. Like every beat of the classic Frankenstein movie setup has jokes about it here in the comic. Yeah. Uh, no, see, because this is the uh, origin story for Chuck. Chuck already exists, obviously, at the start of the game because you go in it and he's your player character. Um, yes. And then, so you're out to defeat the villain Max D. Cap. Who um, will, as the next issue box tells us, will be coming in next issue and some vague, not really the same thing version of the like. The game is about reassembling parts of an island that are shaped like body parts um, that Max Decap has taken over, and this just puts a whole big comedic slant on it. And and so while the professor is walking Chuck through the fact that he has brought him back to life and everything, Igor fights the bats in the background. Wait a minute, these aren't my arms. Ah, they are now. <laughs> now, Kevin. I don't think, based on the way I'm looking at it, I think it was just a coincidence reading it now, but it sort of reads as a reference to Kevin the Fruit Bat, who was at the time a popular television advertising character in the... Oh, uh, do you remember him? In the, do you remember in the Fruit Pastels adverts? There was a, a puppet bat who would hang upside down. He had a boy with him, and he was called Kevin the Fruit Bat, and he lived on Fruit Pastels or something. Oh, I, I can't, can't remember, remember much about it. Properly, it. No. Did you look up a year on that? No, I tried, but I couldn't find anything that would tell mm. me what year it was. God, every, I swear to God, I delighted in reading this one out loud to the brothers, you know. And I bet. It's so many, like, was is the last thing you are remembering? Well, I remember thinking, no way is that a real unexploded landmine. <laughs> it's brilliant! And I'm looking at this, I've got my little cartoonist head on, and I don't know how to describe this, but... So the panel at the bottom right of that same page, mm. with the table thing on one of those, on one yeah. of those sort of extendable... Um, what would you call that? It's one of the concertina mechanisms that you would use for a boxing glove on the end of a spring type thing. It's one of them. I know. Why is that our go-to? I don't know. But it's drawn so perfectly that all the lines are in just the right places to make it dynamic and look funny somehow. <laughs> The bat's faces on the previous panel that are just like mostly open mouth with little goggly eyes. Yeah. This is so brilliantly drawn. I don't think I knew when I was a kid how good this is. No, I know. So when we're in tight on Kevin, he's drawn as a sort of a, a cartoon bat, but in detail. But when we pull out and have the bats in scale with the other characters yes. uh, in the background fighting Igor, the minimalism kicks in and they just become <laughs> little bat shaped logos with tiny heads that are little more than lines with teeth. <laughs> And it's so funny. Ah, oh, it's so good. I know, it's, there's only so many ways we can say it's so funny. I know. There's so many jokes that we can read out. You this know. is the problem. There's, there's A lot of this is visual, and it's difficult. Because the story yeah. isn't the most important thing here, there's only so much we can say. But it's brilliant. Take it from us. I know, and there's a bit where the, the scaffold comes crashing down, and it looks mm. like it's knocked Chuck's head off. Yes. The, the problem is like, ah, it's his head. Igor, it's the electrodes under the fingernails for you this time. And he says promises <laughs> <laughs> while while kind of winking into the camera almost ah oh, it's so good <laughs> The biggest comparison you could make, really, it has a kind of anarchic comedic energy that I associate with something as uniquely British <laughs> as Round the Bend. Yes, the, absolutely. Now, again, we're making cultural references that any oh, American yeah, listeners sorry. won't get, but R Round the Bend was a puppet show on children's television in the UK. Doogie doogie, next on Round the Bend, it's la la la, competition time! Thank you. This is my artist impression done after extensive research of a bottom belonging to a very famous possum. Ring this number. If you think you know whose bottom this is, the first viewer to phone in with the correct answer will win a mystery prize. The mystery is why you should want it. Hmm. 
Oh, hello. Yes, I think we've got a winner already. The famous bottom belongs to the Duke of Edinburgh. Yes, and the winner is Lizzie of London and Sandringham and Belmont. By a crocodile and a bunch of rats that lived in a sewer and were they were the hosts of the program that was full of like parody shorts of all the popular properties of the days. Like um Wee Man. Wee Man and the Masters of the Looniverse. Outside, castle up your jumper. Wee Man and the evil skeleton face. Prepare for battle. You cannot defeat me, puny Wee Man. I have an army of invincible allies with special powers. Cringe before the power of Poodleoid, my loyal battle hound, along with Bird Brain and Rock Bottom. And here comes my crony breadhead on his terror toaster. He uses his love. Bah! He always pops up when you don't want him. And Thunderpants. Thunderpants. On the planet Underwearer, Y Fronto, leader of the Thunderpants team, awakes to find... The magic bloomers of Underwearer, with their amazing powers and sacred gusset, have been stolen! Oh, no, sir! Summon the team, Willy Nix. This must be the work of the evil Bumra. Yes, sir! We'll give chase in our seven-league longjohns. Thunderpants, ho! Look, there's Bumra with the bloomers of power! Drop those bloomers, Bumra. Never. The mystic and bloomers. stuff like that. And it had that feeling that that this comic has of being like, I am allowed this, right? This isn't. This yeah, is okay, I, yeah. Yeah, they're talking about poo and pants. Is that okay? And it's it's a cheeky, anarchic sense where kids think they're getting away with something by reading it. Yeah. But it's also genuinely funny. Yeah. Even now, like for an adult, it's yeah. genuinely funny. Oh, it's funnier for an adult, yeah, I think. Probably, yeah. <laughs> and Decap Attack, just to stress it before we move on, is that this this would basically become the number two strip in the comic. For yeah. for years after they stopped doing strips about other Sega properties, Decap Attack <laughs> yeah. hung on. Not because anybody cared about the video game, but because it was Nigel Kitching's baby, you know. It was Yeah. And Kitching would I think Mike Mike McMahon maybe came in and drew some issues later on. Well like, Nigel was influenced by him in the first place, so yeah. You know, there's definitely a correlation in the, the art style. It would stick around for years and years and years. It's really hard to describe the legacy and appeal of if you weren't there. Yeah. Because it is something that's so uniquely a piece of STC history. Yeah. Cosgrove Hall, that's another thing with a very similar sort of manic, cheekily comedic energy. It, it really shed any pretense that it was adapting a game. Even though it technically came from one, they knew nobody cared about the game. They knew that anyone who cared about the comic was just in it for the comic. And it really just became like, here's also this. And we were like, yeah. Please, also this, thank you. It's nothing to do with Sonic. Yes, please. I mean, that wasn't too unusual for comics in general. I think back to the 80s Transformer comic when you would have ah. your, your lead Transformer strip and then in the back, it could be an issue of... Well, well, early on, they would have things like issues of Machine Man or Iron Man mm. to kind of keep a theme. Mm. But then, you know, you'd be getting issues of Rocket Raccoon and Hercules really? and Spitfire and the Troubleshooters <laughs> and stuff like that. Well, I never knew that. That's interesting. Yeah, it's just how they... they and then later on, it would transition into Hasbro properties like Action Force and Visionaries and, right. and, uh, and Humanoids and Robotics. But, wow, uh, so they really did have a license and nothing to do with it. And they just, yeah, just plop just, let's just plop that in there. We got that. Yep, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Speedlines. Not a pile in speed lines this week. No, uh, my favourite thing here is the uh, <laughs> it's the the fan art of Taz, yeah. who 
<laughs> so Taz, Taz the Tasmanian Devil appearing at the time in the Tasmania, Tasmania the cartoon series, which became uh, the the cartoon series became a bit of a staple of uh, CITV or children's ITV at the time. Yeah, Saturday morning television. What's up, Doc? Yes. And presumably also on in the afternoons because I remember oh, that yes, um, definitely. when they switched from, uh, you know, Tommy Boyd in the studio to Steve Ride doing a voiceover. Problems. Deforestation, acid rain, third world debt, ozone, nuclear waste, overpopulation. Answers? Go wild! Help stick the planet back together quarter to five Mondays on CITV. From the depths of the big ocean to the heights of the blue skies on the roads of danger. One of the things that they would they would always bring up Taz poking out of the the sort of the iris out and, and doing his wabbling wab. And this was what, of course, the joke was when it was Mel Blanc, and he was just he would just make those noises while whirling around in a in a sort of a tornado. And yeah. and in his own cartoon series, the joke was all the other Tasmanian devils talk perfectly talk normally. normally. He, that's he just and his him. Dad was Bing Crosby. Oh, blankety schmackety. But um, here someone's just done some <laughs> of him just standing there with a, a fairly vacant expression on his face and just. Saying a swear word. Well, because... that's, how they, that's how they represented Taz. I know he is, and of course yeah. that's what they should have done. He's got a speech balloon coming out. You know, asterisk, question mark, at, at sign, sign, dollar sign, percentage, percentage symbol. <laughs> that's, I mean, I can barely look at that in anything these now and, and not see it as... <laughs> because that's oh, what it do was. You? It was Taz speak. Ah, oh, now to me it's the other way around. So to me that's just Taz... Without much of an expression on his face, just casually saying, and that's about <laughs> <us>. <laughs> uh, that the work of Mark Cowling from uh, Greater I can't Dunmo or Dunmao Essex. Thanks, Mark. That really gave me a good laugh. I know you didn't mean it that way, but it's great. <laughs> Let's see. What, what else we got? Um, someone suggesting they add a contents page. Not a terrible idea, but also to take up real estate, so I don't need it. It's a bit of a busybody. Yeah, yeah it's... Micromanaging the comic. Stephen Harper of Luton in Bedfordshire saying, I have an idea that I would like to share with you. Ew. Why don't you put a contents page in your mag and number the pages? Speed lines, graphic zone, and control zone could be put in the centre pages, and new zone at the back of the mag. Please think about my idea, and could you also include Sonic's girlfriend, Amy Rose, in your comic strip? From Master Stephen Harper of Luton Bedfordshire. Flipping heck. The zones were always very tactfully placed. Uh-huh. They knew to be between the strips, not at the back. Obviously, a lot of kids were just here for the strips, you know, so yeah. there was a chance they'd read the news zone, the yeah. news zone if they were between the things they were trying to get to. But if they were at the end, they would just close the comic. Exactly. Megadroid shoots back. Anything else, Stephen? You've come up with some interesting suggestions, but we already have an editor. Such as, such he, as he is. is. <laughs> Although you sound like a budding one. <laughs> There's a... Uh, Sean Stringfellow from Stockton on Tees in Cleveland is having some trouble with his two year old sister wanting to read Sonic the Comic. That's nice. That's lovely, yeah. They ju- they just complain like me and my brothers want to read it, but yeah. my sister reads it instead. Uh, grump Mom <laughs> I'm right in. We still can't get our mom off our computer even though she still can't get past the marble zone. Yeah, I love this because that was when we used to call everything a computer. I know, it, right? <laughs> she can, we can't get our mom off the Nintendo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in America, it was everything was a Nintendo. Here, mm. everything was a computer and computer games. Like, it's not that we didn't have the word console. We did. Well, that's the, 
thing because it's important to realize the cultural impact of the Nez mm. in North America versus the much smaller impact that it had here in the UK. Yeah. And here, the equivalent to the NES was the Spectrum. Yeah, it wasn't our childhood video game. Like, I mean, we've reached a sort of global society at this point where American nostalgia is Western nostalgia, is our nostalgia. But as I think, hopefully, this podcast is dedicated to showing that, that wasn't the case. We didn't play NES. Nothing drives me battier than when I hear a British YouTuber say things like, you know, and then the video game crash hit. As we all remember, the NES was king of the... No, we don't. because it wouldn't. That's it. So in America, every video game was a Nintendo because of the cultural yeah. impact of the NES. Yeah. But over here, everything was a computer because the Amiga and the Spectrum were actually computers. You were home computers. And yeah. home computers were the thing, and that's what we all played games on. Yeah. yeah. There's your history lesson for this week's episode, folks. Handy Andy, uh, Andrew Dawson in Barwell, Leicestershire has stuck some stickers on stuff and feels the need to tell us. And uh, Scott McPherson. Uh, oh gosh, of Octorada. Sorry, Scottish people, do tell me. Just call him Scott McPherson of Perthshire. <laughs> Says that uh, we were shopping in Perth and we saw the car adapter for the Game Gear, and Mum said, "At twelve ninety nine, you must be joking." They get straight home and find it advertised there for six ninety nine. The problem is that uh, promising though that is, just something being advertised for six ninety nine in a comic it doesn't mean nothing. Does not mean you have access to it. Nope, we couldn't, sorry. you know, look it up on Amazon or anything. You had to just buy it where you lived, and unfortunately, it was twice the price in Perth. Sorry about that, Scott. And a little picture of Teals from Thomas Richards in Greenmont. Yeah, and it's just a nice little picture of Teals. Well yeah. done, Thomas Richards yeah, of Greenmont well Berry. So that is the end of issue number 10. Mm. Probably the single most content-diverse issue of Sonic the Comic yes. yet, I think. You realise when, you, you you, you, when, when we went back to the very start of it, you know, we had Sonic, and then we had three strips about fantasy adventure, magical fantasy adventure. Yeah, you know, we had we? we had ninjas, we had barbarians, and we had sword and sorcery stuff. And now we've got a straight-up superhero video game. We've got an '80s action movie homage, and we've got fantastic anarchic British kids comic comedy. And no low point. No low point. All top quality. In those first issues, we could always point to like, oh, this is the worst this one. Is the or, ones this is not drawn down, Yeah. Everything in this is fantastic. This is extremely high quality. 95p this one. You'd pay a fiver for this now. You could do better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, decap attack is the rising tide that lifts all boats, I think. (laughs) Yeah. We're entering into a... um, But this is also, at the same time, the final uh, kitching Elson joint for another um, Uh couple of months. So um, expect some guest hosts to keep things lively. (laughs) Yeah. Well, now that we've got all sorts of people going like, Oh, can I? Oh, can I? Yes. Next issue, who knows? But I'll tell you who is going to be in it. Red Stealth, Iclops, Micromax, Berserker. Who will Kid Chameleon become next? Check out the next nerve-shredding episode. Asterisk. Why is there an asterisk in the next issue, Solicit? Bring your own shades. Why would you... Why is that... It's the next line. That bring your own shades isn't at the bottom of the page. It's the next line. You don't put a footnote there. It's literally the next line under it. This is what I mean when I say the footnote is a lost art and STC killed it. (laughs) 
Plus, Sonic goes around the world in five seconds. Streets of Rage, Decap Attack, lots more. Sonic the Comic number 11, Saturday, October 16th. 95p, cheaper 10 times the price. And that's, by the way, something I didn't think of before. It's currently October the 2nd when this comes out. Mm. Perfect time for Decap as a sort of Halloween, Halloween yes. special. I believe yeah. they would actually lean into it when they would do their Halloween issue in a few issues' time. I guess it Halloween issue? Oh, I look forward to that. Yes, please. Remember those viewers? Mm. Well, this has been Sonic the Comic the Podcast. You can now find us on iTunes. We're up there at last. Just search for the name and leave a review up there while you're there. It'll really help us get going as we get off the ground. Uh, If you want to follow me and Dave on social media, I am at Chris McFeely on Twitter and YouTube. I am at Demon Tomato Dave on Twitter and YouTube and Twitch and here and there. Our opening theme was synchronized by Sonic the Comic the Band. You can find them at sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com. Go and have a look. We have been Sonic the Comic the Podcast, and we will see you next time. Bubbly bouncy, fiddly bang. Bubbly bouncy, fiddly bang. Bubbly bouncy, fiddly bang. Bubbly bouncy, fiddly bang.